listening to Robert Wright's Non-Zero Podcast. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Bob. How are you doing? I'm good. Okay, well, let me introduce this. I'm Robert Wright, publisher of the Non-Zero Newsletter. This is a Non-Zero Podcast. You're Sarah Lee Whitson. You're currently executive director of Don D-A-W-N, which is... Democracy for the Arab World Now, that's a group that was uh, started by Jamal Khashoggi, who, of course, uh, was murdered by Saudi operatives in Istanbul some years ago. Um, until uh, until a few years ago, you were at Human Rights Watch. You were executive director of Middle East and North and the North Africa Division, right? And in fact, you were on uh, you were on this podcast. I think maybe while you still had that job, but in any event, your your commentary was very illuminating. So when I saw on Twitter that you've been uh, keeping track of the uh, various horrors that have unfolded uh, since Hamas militants entered Israel and committed a lot of atrocities nine days ago, uh, I thought it would be good to uh, have you on and, and get your perspective on this. You're conversant in the context, in you know, the relevant international law and so on. So, um, so first of all, th this is, uh, we're taping Monday midday. This will air by this evening. Uh, what is your, uh, sense for the situation on the, on the ground right now? Or what is, what is consuming most of your attention right now? Well, what's consuming most of my attention right now is the likelihood of an imminent ground invasion, um, that is coupled with ceaseless, relentless aerial bombardment uh, in Gaza, not just the north, by the way, but the south as well, uh, and the shocking uh, but entirely predictable uh, and entirely man-made humanitarian catastrophe that's being created. So uh, when you say north and south Gaza, of course, Gaza is a small place. It's about 140 square miles. Uh, the north is where Gaza City is. That's the part that Israel has said should be evacuated of all civilians. That's right. It's uh, called on uh, over a million uh, people to just get up and leave and, and go south, uh, except that people who have been trying to flee south have been bombarded and the south is still being bombarded. So the notion that there's really any place safe for civilians is a big lie. Now, is so far as you know, like is Hamas concentrated in northern Gaza? Is that the idea or have they stated a rationale for focusing on northern Gaza, Israel? I mean, um, honestly, I don't believe that they're concentrated at any one place um, because that would make them uh, much right. easier targets. Uh, I don't know what the stated rationale is, but I do know that the obvious rationale is uh, an effort to denude northern Gaza of its population and to extend it into some massive buffer zone uh, to keep Palestinians further away uh, from uh, Israeli settlement communities within Israel. Um, that is what I sort of see emerging. Uh, I don't think Israel has plans to reoccupy uh, uh, Gaza or even northern Gaza, but if it can create a human free zone and declare it a safe zone or a buffer zone or whatever, then basically it extends its rule uh, and 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 its ability to shoot 
anything that moves, let's say, in this uh, newly created buffer zone. That's that's what I'm speculating. So there are a lot more, of course, some of the settlements, the Israeli, well, they're not settlements. That's actually, this is part of Israel proper, or at least uh, Israel even before uh, 1967. Um, but the Israeli villages around there, I gather some of them have been evacuated, but but you're saying that there are more, ordinarily there are more people in more villages in Israel near northern than southern Gaza. And exactly. that may be the motivation. Okay. Um, before we get further into this situation, I was just wondering as a kind of, uh, it may seem academic to people, but uh, as a matter of international law, isn't you know, to get back to the original atrocities committed by Hamas, um, is Hamas as an organization in principle susceptible to international law in the way a nation state is or or what? How does international law get applied to a group like that? Yeah. Um, so basically, as an armed group, um, they are bound by what's called Common Article 3 of the Geneva Conventions that applies to any parties to a conflict, um, whether an irregular militia uh, or a, a state army. Um, and that is the broadest and most important principle of international humanitarian law um, uh, requiring a distinction, the principle of distinction and the principle of proportionality, that any armed uh, group, uh, any party to a conflict has to distinguish between civilians and military objectives and may target only military objectives. And um, that where it is impossible to distinguish, for example, um, that there be a, a rule of proportionality, that the incremental military benefit uh, from targeting something where civilians may be present uh, is uh, uh, um, much, much greater than the harm to civilians. And different militaries have different sort of formulas for what constitute proportionate harm. Um, but uh, the Israeli proportionality calculus has always been among the worst. Okay. Uh, the the um, So in principle, uh, so un Hamas unequivocally, you know, in a formal sense, violated international law to begin with. Um, as a practical matter, um, you know, I mean, because, you know, you might say failing to distinguish between civilians uh, and military, or you might say actually, you know, being quite aware of the distinction and wanting to inflict a lot of civilian uh, deaths. But, but uh, in any event, as a practical matter, and and of course we're getting way ahead of the game before we get back to what's going on. But um, the the International Criminal Court, I guess, would be the the the, the mechanism of enforcement, and of course. I don't think Israel has signed on to the treaty creating it, right? And certainly Hamas hasn't. Um, but but still, uh, is there a way in the long run that either could be as a practical matter held accountable through the formal mechanisms of enforcement? Yeah. So, Bob, this is a very practical and immediate matter, in fact. Um, in 2019, the International Criminal Court declared, announced that it was opening an investigation into war crimes in Palestine since uh, June 2014. Um, so basically, the ICC declared its investigation retroactive to June, I believe, June 9, 2014, and ongoing until then. Once the ICC has accepted jurisdiction, and open an investigation, as it has, based on the request of the state of Palestine, uh, to conduct an investigation. Anybody, 
any national of any country who commits war crimes in that territory, uh, in this case in the state of Palestine, which includes Gaza, is subject to the court's jurisdiction. It's completely irrelevant at that stage that Israel is not a party to the ICC. And more significantly, perhaps as Americans, it's insignificant and irrelevant that the United States is not a party to the ICC. Both mm -hmm. the US and Israel, and of course Hamas and any Palestinian armed group who are committing war crimes, crimes against humanity and other violations of the Rome Statute are subject to investigation, prosecution and liability by the International Criminal Court, which has an active ongoing investigation underway now. This is extraordinary. This is an extraordinary uh, uh, um, opportunity for international justice. Uh, it certainly didn't exist uh, when uh, Israel launched a massive war against Gaza in 2006, in 2009, in 2011, in 2014. It was only in 2019 that the court said, okay, we're going back and looking since 2014. Um, and so this is not a hypothetical matter. This is a real ongoing live investigation now. Okay. And as a, uh, first of all, so a large majority of nations have signed on to the ICC, I gather. Now, but have Russia and China, what, what about the other kind of superpowers? Nope. Russia has <laughs> not. China has not. Uh, the U.S. has not. Uh, the right. U.K. has signed. France mm -hmm. has signed. Um, a number okay. of African states have signed and a number of Latin American states have signed. But why this investigation is so important to the ICC, is so important to anything the ICC does uh, anywhere in the world, is because if the ICC proves itself to be, uh, 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 to, to fail uh, to provide accountability for Israeli crimes in Gaza, that are ongoing now, that have been ongoing for the past 17 years, mm -hmm. it will lose all credibility and ability to prosecute any other case. As it is, the International Criminal Court's credibility is on very thin ice. And a number of African states have withdrawn from the ICC saying, what, you're only going to prosecute people of color? You're only going to prosecute people in Africa, you know, Sudan and, and, and Libya? When are you going to uh, act against Israel, because again, this investigation has been underway since 2019. And what were the specific alleged crimes at that point? So it went, uh, it, the complaint by the state of Palestine to the International Criminal Court asked uh, the court to uh, take jurisdiction, declare jurisdiction of crime since the 2014 war. It took the ICC five years. Okay. In 2019, to say, okay, we accept. Then uh, uh, there was a, a suit, actually, uh, uh, a challenge to the declaration of jurisdiction by the court, uh, where uh, the basically the Israelis and the Americans said, no, the ICC can't take jurisdiction because Israel, uh, because Palestine is not really a state. Mm -hmm. uh, the court of the ICC heard that appeal and rejected it, reaffirming in 2021 that the jurisdiction is valid and the state of Palestine legitimately asked for the court to intervene and as a party, as a signatory to the Rome Statute. And now, as a result, there is a live investigation underway. Okay. Now, I, I suspect one thing some Israelis might say about that 
allegation uh, of war crimes, you know, having to do with things done in Gaza in during previous uh, conflicts is, well, we were responding to missile strikes or something. But I gather like war crimes, I mean, on the on, first of all, transborder aggression is a crime in its own right. So like Russia invading Ukraine, that's illegal. But not, what, not under the Rome statute. I think not, it's very no important. under the UN Charter. Yeah, but that's not. But the but the but the International Criminal Court right. only hears breaches of the Rome Statute. Right, and 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 that is indifferent to who started the war. Right, once a war is started, both belligerents or all belligerents are responsible for complying with the laws of war. Right, so at that point, it, it really no longer matters who started it. In a sense. Well, there is, I believe there's a provision for the crime of aggression in the Rome Statute, but uh -huh. the more important point that you're making is, by and large, for international humanitarian law, which are the laws of war, it really doesn't matter who started it. That's kind of a different body of war. Right. The wars of, uh, the laws of war are meant to regulate how parties to a conflict fight. Why they're fighting at that point? is not relevant. Right. The rules are you have to distinguish between civilian and military targets. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure you wouldn't, uh, again, it's obvious that Hamas committed crimes with the initial incursion, but is it, uh, as far as what's going on now, is it, uh, it's completely clear to you that uh, in your view, Israel is uh, violating international law? Well, I mean, it's it's as clear as day, and, and you don't need to take my word for it. You can take the word of Israeli officials who've openly declared that they are going to commit and are committing war crimes. When uh, the Israeli government, when Bibi Netanyahu declares that he is cutting off all water, electricity, fuel, medicine, and food, imposing a total siege on Gaza, that is a war crime. You are not allowed to deprive civilians of items essential to their survival, and water and fuel and electricity are mm -hmm. the most basic of those. So that's a prima facie, uh, on its face, uh, war crime. Mm -hmm. uh, um, the indiscriminate bombardment of residential buildings, killing, as we now know, over 3,000 people, uh, over 600 children, um, that is very apparent uh, uh, as a war crimes and could amount to crimes against humanity. We've now also seen cases of deliberate targeting of journalists. Israel uh, murdered uh, a journalist in Lebanon two days ago, uh, as well we know, as we know that it was intentional. Who was that? Uh, the the journalist was uh, a cameraman, I believe, for Al Jazeera, who has posted critically on Israel, commented critically on Israel. Um, but it's very clear that they were, uh, uh, these th these four people, I believe the number was four, three injured and one killed, were deliberately targeted and killed. They're, they're, this wasn't sort of an accidental random, Israel is not randomly or indiscriminately bombarding Lebanon yet. This was a targeted killing. Hmm. Uh so uh, now that hasn't gotten, I mean, I heard a report, I thought I heard a report that a Reuters cameraman or something, but but I heard reports about something like this. I haven't, it, has it been well documented somewhere that this must have been a targeted killing or? Uh, I mean, that's what I've read. And like I said, this was a single sort okay. of hit operation. Single strike uh, and and there were, okay. Now back back to um, the, uh, so, 
what Israel would say about, yes, they're hitting uh, civilian structures, but Hamas is embedded in civilian structures, which I assume is true. Right. But but how does that relate to your indictment? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's, um, you know, the, the basically the laws of war uh, do not uh, uh, make it illegal uh, to have what's called urban warfare. Uh, oftentimes, wars are conducted in cities. Um, if your city is under attack, uh, you are firing back from your city. Mm-hmm. Um, the obligation on a group like Hamas or any armed group that's fighting in civilian areas um, is to avoid endangering civilians to the extent feasible, to avoid placing weapons and material in civilian areas to the extent feasible. So Hamas is breaching or violating the laws of war if it can be shown that they had feasible as in militarily feasible alternatives. You know, standing out in the open desert uh, uh, is not a feasible alternative because obviously they could be targeted and killed anytime. Mm-hmm. Um, even if Hamas uh, is present in civilian areas, which by the way, Israeli military barracks, Israeli, uh, the, is, the IDFs, uh, the military defense units, uh, they are also located in, in civilian areas throughout Israel. Um, because it's just part of a very densely populated area. Um, th- that you know, The presence of military targets within a civilian area does not give Israel or Hamas, for that sake, license to indiscriminately bombard an area uh, on the basis of, well, Hamas is hiding in there. That's not mm-hmm. a good enough, uh, 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 you don't have permission carte blanche to do that under international law. Does that mean that international law makes it very hard for someone to fight a war legally in an urban area? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Mm-hmm. And that's because international law is designed to protect civilians, not to help one party or another win the war. Mm-hmm. So um, are there certain kinds of embedding within civilian populations that would be just on the face of it illegal? Like if Suppose you're storing a ton of, of ammunition in the basement of a hospital. Is that like just... So uh, so the, I think the, the crime that people think of and the, the word that's often used is civilian shielding. And there is a crime of shielding. Um, and that is deliberately using civilians to shield your military from attack. And that, you know, requires showing sort of intent. Mm-hmm. Um I think on the face of it, storing weapons beneath a hospital is a a, a clear violation of the prohibition of avoiding endangering Mm -hmm. civilians, because that is overwhelmingly likely that you're going to invite a military attack, um, which itself, even if it's illegal, nevertheless, you're endangering civilians. Right. Um, and and you know it's it would be very hard for one group to argue that it's uh, it was impossible for them to find somewhere else to hide their weapons. Mm-hmm. Now, have you seen reports that Hamas is preventing people from fleeing from the north to the south, like do, uh, establishing blockades? I have not seen that. Uh, that I think the IDF be... uh, made the claim on Twitter. 
Well, the IDF's made a lot of claims. So, you know, mm. the IDF also claimed they didn't kill Shirin Abu Akhle. The IDF is, you know, making all kinds of claims. So that doesn't matter much to me. I need to see the evidence. If it's true that Hamas is blocking civilians from leaving, that mm -hmm. is the crime of shielding. And that is a very mm -hmm. serious violation of the laws of war. Yeah. Uh, I, I would, this is just a little side commentary on how uh, our, our media mediate things. Um, I saw a number of videos during the siege of Mariupol in Ukraine, more than one, purporting to show um, that the Azov, people from the Azov Brigade had set up uh, blockades and were preventing civilians from leaving Mariupol because presumably the argument was they knew they'd be more vulnerable if there were no civilians around. Um, and this, that's the kind of thing that doesn't get any traction in American media because of the side we were on in the war. I think this exactly. Israeli one is getting more traction in, and, and I just want to say, I don't know if either is true. I would just warn people against assuming that in a war that America has any kind of interest in, that assuming that it's very easy to get a clear and objective view of what's actually going on. Those things are just going to be processed by media and even by social media, according to the way Americans and the American government and American media feel about the particular war. Um, sorry, do you want to say anything? About, uh, well, I, I mean, yes, I, I strongly agree. And, and uh, unfortunately, what we've seen is, you know, it goes much further than that. We have seen President Biden uh, make false claims, you know, say lies. He went on national television and he claimed that he saw pictures of decapitated babies uh, at a time when this was reported all over the world's media based on the allegation of one uh, Israeli quasi-soldier, he's like head of a, you know, quasi-military unit, uh, who is himself uh, uh, known, and we've brought a case against him, to incite pogroms against Palestinians as he incited the pogrom in Hawada. Um, then, given sort of everyone sort of questioning those claims, because no evidence has yet to emerge uh, of any decapitated babies, the White House had to retract President Biden's statements and to clarify, oh, yeah, well, he didn't actually see any pictures, but that's what the Israelis confirmed to him. You know, again, claims. And it's extremely dangerous. But the problem is, you know, for, for myself as a human rights advocate, as an analyst, I don't want to debate whether babies were decapitated or killed. It's right. all gross. But there's a reason why there are these claims of decapitated babies, because they really incite people's emotions and allows them to then justify killing thousands of Palestinian babies. It's horrific, but we have to stick to the facts. We have to stick to the truth. That's right. It does seem absurd on the one hand to quibble, like on how a slaughtered baby was slaughtered, right? Right. Uh, but it is a fact that the level of retaliation that's going to be demanded by the Israeli people can be heavily influenced by a single a single anecdote that becomes a kind of rallying cry. That's just that's human nature. That's exactly right. And that's exactly why it was deployed. Um, and, you know, I, I hope we don't find the evidence. I hope there's no evidence that ever emerges of decapitated babies or raped women. Um, um, now, by the way, the, the the raped women, I heard uh, like Jake Tapper on CNN assert with a fair amount of, well, 
confidence that that had happened. I was wondering, I just had, I had heard it. I hadn't seen documentation. Do we know that that happened? By, by Hamas. This is Israeli happened. women being raped by Hamas. I have not seen any documentation of this. I've talked to a number of journalists on the ground who've been in southern Israel, who've been interviewing victims of the Hamas massacres. Mm -hmm. And they told me that they knew of one woman who had alleged that she had been raped. But mm -hmm. as far as I know, as far as I've read, as far as I've heard, there is zero evidence of any kind of widespread or systematic rape yeah. uh, at all. And again, Hamas did things that are pretty much as horrible as what humans are capable of. There's no dispute over that. The question, but 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 for the reasons that we mentioned, I think sometimes, you know, particularly inflammatory anecdotes are worth uh, checking just because how they'll play out. I mean, we're seeing, and I guess that brings us back to uh, where we are on the ground in uh, in Gaza. Um, there's a, a kind of a curious thing, which is that. If, you know, there's, okay, so there's two kind of thresholds of evacuation. Israel wants them to go from northern to southern Gaza. There's also the question of whether they would be allowed to go into Egypt. Egypt doesn't want them to go into Egypt for various reasons. Uh, and so as of now, they're kind of stuck. And it occurred to me that, like, if they stay there, uh, they risk being killed, Uh but if they leave, this may, in retrospect, look like ethnic cleansing. And now, when we spoke last time on my podcast, I remember you saying ethnic cleansing per se is not covered under international law. Uh, there, but there is forced relocation and so on. So what? Uh, what about forced relocation? Things that yeah. violate international is what Israel has already demanded. Does that constitute illegal forced relocation or? Right. Would it depend on them actually leaving Gaza and going into Egypt or what? Right. So the 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 law defines the crime of forcibly displacing a population as the crime of forced displacement. And again, a lot of these crimes they look to intent. It's important to note that the ICRC, I'm pretty sure, unless I'm getting it wrong, that's the uh, that stands for Red Cross. Okay. Which never speaks publicly, but did the national the the uh, the um, uh, Norwegian Refugee Council, which is probably one of the most prominent refugee organizations in the world, um, have already called out the uh, uh, actions of Israel to force Palestinians to flee as an act of forced displacement. And there's tremendous concern that the goal is what it has been for a very, very long time. And this is not the first time that Israel has tried to drive Palestinians out of Gaza uh, and to relocate them to uh, Egypt, to the Sinai Desert, um, that that is the strategy, that that is the plan. Push them out, pay off Egypt to let them live in camps and never let them back in. Um, because Gaza is a huge problem for Israeli expansionist goals. There's uh, two and a half million and a tiny, tiny uh, 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 streak of land that is completely disconnected to the West Bank. Um, and, you know, the notion that there can be any kind of a Palestinian state with this little rump piece of Gaza is, you know, a permanent problem for them. Um, so what many people fear is that Israel is in the process of executing a long-held plan to drive the population out of Gaza. And if they can get half of them out now, half of them kick the can down the road, well, fine. Um, and that is why so many people have 
uh, concluded that this is, in fact, the crime of forced displacement. So if they can empty half of Gaza now, you mean move the people in the north to southern Gaza, that that's progress from their point of view. Now, they would presumably in the long run, wouldn't they have to occupy northern Gaza to enforce to make that an enduring fact? Not necessarily. I mean, you know, you have drones, you have planes, you have Hmm. all kinds of satellite surveillance. You know, know, obviously we know now that Israeli intelligence and uh, surveillance is is not as a superpower effective as we thought it could be. But you don't physically need to be on the ground to enforce. But I I mean, there's not going to be anything to return to, Bob. They are mm -hmm. going to reduce all of northern Gaza to rubble. That process is underway. It's going to be even less inhabitable than it is now. They were saying yesterday, the Americans, oh, they're letting in water. There's no more water pipes in northern Gaza. All the water pipes have been have been busted. So you make something an impossibility to return to. Who's mm-hmm. going to be able to return to rubble and no water and no food and no electricity? Yeah, the... um. On that, on the point of of initially actually cutting off the water and the power and stating it as a fact, and in fact, the defense minister stated it in the same uh, utterance as saying these people are animals. And my inference was he was saying all two million of them are animals. I mean, I don't know why he was he was justifying doing the water and power, cutting off water and power to all two million so I don't and P, and some of his kind of defenders were saying, well, he just met Hamas's animals. Well, then that's a non sequitur. It doesn't if Hamas are the animals, that doesn't justify cutting off the water and power to two million. In any event, um, Biden and Blinken have been saying now we expect Israel to comply with the laws of war. But they they've been saying that after Israel, by its own account, quit complying with the laws of war, right? I mean, they're almost stating it as as future guidance. Of course, we expect them to keep complying with international law, kind of, but- but I'm sorry, this is, it's complete bullshit. You know, it's complete bullshit. From the very first moment, uh, Israel made clear um, that it was going to exact revenge and it's going to exact revenge on the civilian population. And they have kept true to their promise And the announcement of the shutting off of electricity and water and fuel would have been the appropriate moment for the U.S. to say, "Okay, we can't support this. Mm -hmm. Instead, uh, uh, in addition to whatever throwaway line of saying we expect Israel to comply with the laws of war or more ridiculously to keep complying with the laws of war, the U.S. has promised and is sending uh, millions in additional military support, has mm-hmm. stationed a massive U.S. naval tanker. Uh, from what I understand, they uh, are, are ready, willing, and able to physically, kinetically support uh, Israel uh, in, in this war. So, you know, the U.S., we're not just observers here kind of advising and guiding Israel to do this or do that. The U.S. is actively involved here actively gave Israel the green light to, in blinking words, do what it needs, um, has, has, you know, thought about talking about a ceasefire. But then, as you know, Secretary Blinken, after even merely tweeting the word ceasefire, deleted them and has now apparently banned the worst, the word ceasefire, uh, de-escalation of hostilities uh, from any mention by anyone else in the State Department. Mm-hmm. Um- so 
as we said, like if the people, to the extent that the people vacate, uh, and, and wait, let me make sure I understand you. So forced relocation, that law could apply even before they've left all of Gaza. It could apply to yes. what's happening now. Okay. Yes. So if they don't leave and a lot of them get slaughtered, some people would raise uh, the question of genocide. Now, genocide is a term that, so far as I can tell, uh, has had its definition kind of loosened and expanded since uh, immediately after World War II, when it was taken to refer to, you know, the actual attempt to exterminate an entire ethnic group. And the Holocaust was the archetypal example. The term has become used more loosely, sometimes very loosely. Vladimir Putin used it to justify the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, people have applied it to, 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 to Vladimir Putin in ways that I think is pretty loose. But, but I'm not really sure what the current status in international law of the definition of, of genocide is. What does it mean now and, and does it apply uh, to what's going on in, in, uh, in Gaza or for that matter to what Hamas initially did uh, to Israel, which, you, you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, I think you're right that since the Genocide Convention um, uh, was passed and the legal definition agreed to it, and by the way, based on the archetype of the Armenian Genocide. Oh, was um, that uh, as much? When was, when was the Genocide Convention? The Armenian Genocide was in 1915, but when Raphael Lemkin, um, the great uh, uh, Jewish um, lawyer and scholar who coined the term, coined the term genocide, he coined it specifically um, with reference uh, uh, to what had happened uh, to the Armenian people uh, in the Ottoman provinces. In the so Eastern this was this was right after World War II that the no, term it was, was coined. Nineteen fifteen. Really, uh, the term right. goes the term goes back to then. Yes, it goes to it go, Rafa, Raphael Lemkin coined the term genocide uh -huh. to refer to the mass slaughter of Armenians by the uh -huh. Turks in the Ottoman Empire in nineteen fifteen. I mean, it's a it's, it, it's it, it, so just and when, and when was the genocide convention? Oh, the genocide convention was much later than that. It was after World War II. Yeah, I mean, it, okay. it takes decades for these things to come to fruition. Right. Um, but uh, I, I mean, the, the, the term is uh, for one party or one state uh, to attempt to destroy. And here's the important part in whole or in part. Right. Uh, another group because of their ethnic or national, uh, um, I, I think it includes racial, religious uh, mm -hmm. uh, category or class. So uh, some genocide scholars, and I'm not a genocide scholar, but groups of genocide scholars have already uh, issued uh, preliminary findings to say that Israel is violating the genocide convention because it has showed an intent uh, given some of the statements that we were talking about before and the actual practices, uh, it has shown an intent to destroy uh, uh, at least part uh, of the Palestinian population in Gaza mm -hmm. for no reason other than they are Palestinian. Mm -hmm. You know, just today, just today, I believe, or yesterday, uh, a senior Israeli official, I'm pretty sure it was the Israeli president, who said that there are no Palestinian civilians, that all of the Palestinians are responsible um, because they support Hamas. Now, that is a genocidal statement. Um, and I think it's statements like that as coupled with the actions of indiscriminate bombardment uh, 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 and the mass civilian casualty tolls just over five days 
that has led numerous genocide scholars to conclude that Israel is committing a genocide or is showing the intent to commit genocide. I don't think any major human rights organization or any major organization, including my own, Dawn, uh, has issued that kind of a definitive assessment yet. It is, you know, considered a very, very serious term to use, and notwithstanding the way it is flippantly thrown around uh, uh, by people, just the way the word fascist or Nazi, you know, is getting mm-hmm. thrown around very sloppily. Um, uh, I think there is very serious merit to the conclusion of these genocide scholars, and I expect that organizations like Dawn, like Amnesty International, like Human Rights Watch will sit down and pause to consider the evidence and consider the guidance. Mm -hmm. Uh, I believe the Raphael Lemkin Institute, which is an institute of genocide scholars, has now issued, I'm going to say three, the number could be five, uh, genocide warnings, atrocity alerts, mm-hmm. uh, saying that what's happening now, you know, is, is a trigger for a genocide alert. Um, and uh, by the same token, uh, it seems to me you could argue that Hamas committed genocide. Of course, I mean, Hamas is a Hamas. Hamas hasn't signed the genocide convention. Israel presumably has. But but you could certainly argue that they were killing large number of Israelis just because they were Israeli or some would say because well, not all of them were Jews, actually. Some of them were Arab Israelis, but still, uh, what uh, one could make the case, uh, right? Okay. Well, I mean, I I think one would have to examine the statements made by Hamas um, uh, about their attack on southern Israel. Um, I don't know if you've heard any of the Hamas statements. I think I think it it is worth. Uh, listening to what they're saying and what they're claiming to understand if they're indicia of intent there. What what are they saying? I'm not going to, you know, unfortunately, even in progressive shows, it's just become a red line in American media to speak for Hamas or paraphrase Hamas. Or, or be frankly, seen as, right. Frankly, I can't do it because overnight my Twitter feed will be you know, uh, filled with claims that I am a Hamas spokesperson. So yeah. what I say to people is go and find and listen. They put out some English statements uh, explaining their attack. Uh, I think it's filled with a lot of lies. I heard it. Um, but it is important for people to listen to what's being said and judge for themselves. I mean, they are on the record, I assume, of seeking the elimination of the Israeli state. You can take that. You could say that they could say we just mean regime change, I guess. We just mean right. a, a, a we want a government that right. uh, doesn't favor Jews in any sense or something. But um, but they've said a lot of things that. Uh, uh, well, look, I'm not an expert on what they've said. Of course, Israel would say, well, we're. We haven't said we're trying to destroy the Palestinian people or the. Yes, they or, have. That's the well, thing. Well, they haven't said they're trying to destroy them, have they? Oh, but, no, when. Okay, but when you say we are launching a war and every Palestinian, there is no such thing as a Palestinian civilian. Okay, that that's that's a pretty genocidal statement. I, I don't they, see another way to say it. And that's the defense minister and I guess uh maybe others. I but, thought it was the president, but I'd have to go back and oh, check. Oh, I think you're right. The president did say it. He tried to walk it back. What's his name? Yeah, Herzog. Like, uh he he did he did. 
seemingly clearly say they're all responsible because they could have uh, risen up, up which is kind of ironic when <laughs> when you, on the one hand, characterize Hamas appropriately as authoritarian autocrats who do not permit elections um, to then say, why didn't the people vote them <laughs> out of office in effect? But, you know, it's like, uh, I think rising up against Hamas would be a pretty perilous endeavor. Um, anyway, the... Um, by the way, this goes back to ancient history. I'm not sure if you're, it's so long ago that I doubt either of us recalls clearly, but the way Hamas came into power is the Bush administration, as part of its democracy, its, its, its uh, desire to spread democracy everywhere, you know, supported elections in Gaza, supported Hamas, was fine with Hamas participating. And then Hamas won. It's like 2008 or something. They said, no, no, that's not a legitimate government. I mean, they, they I didn't even think they claimed the election wasn't in the up and on the up and up. I mean, it was they won the election and and the U.S. and Israel start saying, no, it's unacceptable for you to rule. And that's as I recall, that's why a civil war broke out between Hamas and the Palestinian Authority and why right. Hamas so, I mean, actually had to seize power uh, forcefully. Yeah. There's a very clear history that establishes how uh, Israel helped establish Hamas to serve as a counterweight to Fatah uh, and the, uh, uh, the the Palestinian uh, more secular party that uh, currently controls the Palestinian Authority um, and is the party of Arafat, let's say. Um, and, you know, they have long relied on a tactic of divide and rule. And, and so creating Hamas uh, uh, and supporting it and allowing it to operate was meant to weaken uh, Fatah. And weaken Fatah it did, and it became, it, it built its own base of support. Uh, in 2006, you're right, under uh, George Bush II's doctrine to promote democracy, uh, uh, elections were held in Gaza and the West Bank. And in Gaza, Hamas did win in fair and free elections, the majority of the seats uh, uh, in Gaza. Um, the Israel, the United States, and the Palestinian Authority then tried to launch a coup in Gaza in 2006 against Hamas, uh, trying to install uh, one uh, uh, guy named Mohammed Dahlan, who's uh, uh, now a UAE crony and lives in Dubai, uh, but he failed and he was driven out. And since then, uh, 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 Hamas has ruled Gaza and there's been no new election. Uh, in the face of Hamas's victory, however, Israel imposed the full blockade and siege of Gaza. So the siege of Gaza, the, the shutting down of the, the doors of the border uh, of, of, of Gaza, limiting imports and exports, limiting fuel, limiting water, limiting everything, as the Israelis said, putting them on a diet, putting Palestinians on a diet to punish them for choosing uh, Hamas, has been ongoing since 2006. Mm -hmm. So. This is the situation that Gazans have faced uh, for the past 17 years, an inability to travel to get medical care, 70% of the population unemployed and dependent on charity from abroad, little bits of charity creeping in from Qatar, uh, uh, and you know, growing population, an absolute time bomb, not enough water, not enough medicine, um, and everybody in the world very happy to ignore the misery and the suffering of the people in Gaza until they strike out as they did 
with this horrific attack on southern Israel. And now everybody's talking about Gaza, but guess what? The people are going to suffer and be destroyed even more. Um, yeah. I, and, you know, I think I recall, of course, there, there will be skeptics as to the sincerity of this, but right after the election that Hamas won, uh, they were their leaders were interviewed, and I recall them making noises about being willing to live in peace. Now, I should be clear as a technical matter, there was a jihad issued against Israel. So, what they in, in that context, what they were saying is, Look, we could have a hudna that's a truce for a long, long, long time, right? Like, uh, you know, I don't know if you remember this, but, uh, and, and this, of course, isn't your realm of expertise, like the actual motivation of Hamas. Um, but, of course, there are people in Israel, probably now more than ever, who think that Hamas just wants to kill all the Jews or kill all the Israelis or something. Uh, I have a very cynical view of human nature uh, that suggests that actually, first of all, people's professed motivations can change over time if it's in their interest to change them. I have seen a a couple of times where it seemed to me that there was a, a chance of uh, moving Hamas toward moderation uh, via engagement. Um, I, I mean, Bob, I don't think any of it matters. I don't think it matters whether there would be found a way to engage with Hamas or not engage with Hamas because another group would come up to resist Israel if Hamas wasn't resisting Israel. Well, yeah, I mean, there is never going to be peace in Gaza, in the West Bank, for Palestinians, for Israelis, for anyone who lives there until the occupation ends and until apartheid is ended. There are no human beings anywhere on this planet Earth that will live under subjugation in perpetuity. That's what people want of Palestinians. It's not going to happen. There's always going to be a fresh crop of young people who say, no, we're going to fight back any way we can. And that's the reality. So I've been around too many wars in Gaza and too many wars in Israel-Palestine for me to see that there is no other answer and that the solution has to start with Israel ending its inhumane, illegal occupation of Palestinian territories and ending its inhumane, illegal apartheid rule over millions of people. Yeah, well, actually, what I meant was a form of engagement that was actually sincerely directed from the kind of Israeli and American side sincerely directed toward actually solving the problem. In other words, you have inducements and it's actually- how could they actually... possibly do that? The US well, I know. I mean, I, I grant you that- them. I grant they don't you that- talk to them. The US and Israel, you mean? No, they yeah, I know. It was, it's a hypothetical. <laughs> it was a thought experiment. It doesn't experiment. matter. They have the PA. What are they doing right. to the PA? The, the Palestinian they, Authority, right. I mean, this is- They're not negotiating is, with them either. They don't want to negotiate. They don't want to give up yeah. the land. Well, oh, I mean- They don't want to give up the land. The government of Israel has said as openly yeah. as you can imagine, we want all the land of the West Bank too. Right. No, I understand that. I I I I uh I just and for that matter, for me to even suggest the US and Israel engage Hamas, that's a wild fantasy. It's all a wild fantasy. I'm just saying that when people say uh Hamas, they're incorrigible, they're irreversibly committed 
to mass extermination or something, I'm thinking, I'm not sure we've really done the experiment of seeing uh, what would happen if you engaged people who, yes, are radicals and extremists now and gave them evidence that you're really trying to move things toward actual solution of the problem and, uh, you know, liberating the Palestinians for subjugation. Yeah, that, mean, that's a point. It's, it's a hypothetical yeah, I, point. I but- understand. I just I don't think it's the essential point. I think it's a side point. You know, I think it's 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 it's, uh, you know, neither here nor there. Right. Yeah, but because what's the alternative? The problem I mean- is the occupation. Anything else you try to solve for? Oh, right. let's build up Palestinian businesses. Oh, let's build up Palestinian yeah. uh, state institutions. Oh, let's see that they can be a credible partner. It's all bullshit. Yeah, it's always the been occupation bullshit. Occupation but- has but- to end. <laughs> the yeah. occupation has to end. If you don't end the occupation, nothing else matters. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I'm saying. The claim that Hamas and other groups are irreversibly committed to uh, the extermination of Jews or, or elimination of Israel, whatever, that, that the belief in that claim is, is one thing that makes ending the occupation even less likely than it is now. That's my point. It's like, mm-hmm. it's worth making the argument, I think, that there could have been a different present. And there could be a different future. Right. You know, you, you take I, I my think, point. I think you're right. But I, I I, mean, I think the Israeli authorities talk to Hamas and have been talking to Hamas secretly all this time. They have been, you know, sharing intelligence even to contain some of the more extremist groups, including some ISIS cells inside Gaza. Um, I, I think that the the notion that Israel isn't ending the occupation because it's terrified of Hamas, I don't really buy it. You know, if 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 that were true, they wouldn't be literally expanding settlements as we speak, pushing more uh, Israeli Jews into Palestinian territory, taking more Palestinian land. While this is happening in Gaza, nobody's even looking to see uh, the settler uh, brigades that are going in, raiding and terrorizing Palestinian villages yeah. in the West Bank. This is ongoing. That has nothing now, to do with Hamas, but they're doing it. And and that has been ramped up lately, right? I mean, a lot of attention has been paid, and I, and I wrote about it because I think it's important, to the kind of predictable fact that this whole push for Arab-Israel uh, normalization that started with the Trump administration and has been, if anything, accelerated by the Biden administration, the predictable fact that Hamas and Iran and the Palestinian people were all going to find that threatening for 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 related reasons, different but related reasons. But in addition to that, there has been this ramping up on the West Bank, right, of uh, settler violence, and at a symbolic level, if you look at the Al Aqsa Mosque, um, you know what Palestinians view as infringements and the violation of long-standing kind of agreed-upon rules about how the Al-Aqsa Mosque would be handled, right? I mean... Right, um, right. But the Abraham Accords were, I think, have are, have been proven uh, exactly as I've been saying and many of uh, my colleagues have been saying for the past couple of years uh, to be a complete farce. Um, they are predicated That's on... That's the normalization I was referring to, the, the, the first phase. Yeah, go ahead. That we now see that they can there can be peace and stability in the middle east if apartheid government of israel allies with the 
uh, uh, criminal dictatorships, sadistic sociopathic dictatorship of Saudi Arabia, uh, or the, the 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 autocratic dictatorships of the UAE, or the King of Morocco, that by forming uh, normalization agreements with these unelected, illegitimate uh, Arab dictators, there's going to be peace and stability in the Middle East. What a farce! What a farce that you can just erase the Palestinian problem away. Just because the emir of UAE has signed a normalization agreement um, with Israel, you think the Palestinian people are going to care that it's going to make any difference to their national struggle, to their struggle for human rights? So this is, you know, the, the, the magical thinking that started with the Trump administration, but you know, the Biden administration drank all that poisonous Kool-Aid and they made this normalization the centerpiece of their policy right. in the Middle East. Complete failure. And, you know, maybe now's not the moment, but we need some accountability in the failed foreign policy leadership of the Biden administration. I, I wrote this piece. Uh, I encourage people to check out the non-zero newsletter. It was the last thing I wrote is, is how predictably Biden's headlong uh, pursuit of this Saudi deal was going to threaten key players like Hamas and not be welcomed by the Palestinians and so on. And uh, could lead to trouble. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's um, it's a bad uh, situation. I'm. You've made me curious about what Hamas is actually saying about the rationale for the attacks, because I don't, I mean, they have to acknowledge they were targeting civilians. Uh, and and I I I, uh, I don't know. All I can imagine is that they make tactical claims. They make claims about how this being a, a, a necessary tactic. Uh, what I've said this before, but it's I I think they would be better off if they had focused on the military targets. They would they would better serve the the uh, the cause yeah, of Palestinians. There's a there's a long interview that two Hamas leaders uh, made gave on Al Jazeera um, in Arabic that was translated that addresses some of these points. So okay. take a look. Um, so one one thing, um, you know, it's just. What I'd like to know is of the militants who came into uh, who entered Israel and killed these people, uh, 1,500 of them were killed, right? Apparently, the militants. So, uh, I mean, Israel, I think, has said 1,300, 1,500 or something were were killed in Israel. Uh, they they probably knew they were taking quite a risk and might well die. And and one thing I wonder is how many of them had uh, friends or relatives who died in past uh, Gaza-Israel conflicts, you know, via Israel bombs. Not that that would be justification, but it does seem to me relevant to the wisdom of Israel now creating way, way more Palestinians in Gaza who, who, will, who will be able to say that relatives or friends of theirs were killed by Israel. And we've already reached a new I threshold there. I don't know there. anyone in Gaza who has not been personally injured and impacted right. by a, a loved one who was murdered or shot or maimed or crippled, in addition to the fact that every single person living in Gaza, and by the way, the majority of the population are under 18, have lived in a massive cage uh, of 140 miles, mm -hmm. as we're noting, their entire lives impossible to imagine ever leaving that cage. Mm -hmm. So, 
you know, I, I saw Bill Ackman, this hedge fund guy, tweeting, what would Americans do if this happened and they invaded a, you know, concert of, you know, young people having fun? Well, what would they do? What would you do, Bill, if you were born and raised in a prison camp your entire life? No food, no electricity, no water, no jobs. You know, I mean, it's it's a really mm. awful situation. It's a really right. awful situation. And people reach their breaking points. We all do, right? We all do. Yeah, the uh, uh, I heard the president of Israel Herzog say, we were living at peace. We were living <laughs> at peace. And I mean, that's just not the, it, it's predictable that, the Palestinians do not view it that way when they don't have, you know, I mean, even in the West Bank, which is paradise compared to Gaza, right. they don't have, you know, political rights, due process of law and, and no. so on. Um, and and he was just like, what was the problem? Almost. No, like, I mean, that's what that's because Israelis have managed to inoculate themselves from the suffering of uh, from of Palestinians uh, for decades now. And they have been perfectly content to leave it in limbo unaddressed, unsolved, as long as it doesn't touch them. That's been the formula. It's tragic. It's horrible. Yeah. I, I, I uh, by the way, just quickly on that point about, you know, how many, um, how many Gazans, how many more Gazans are now going to be able to say, like, my sibling was killed by Israel. My cousin was killed by Israel as a result of what's going on now. The reason I bring that up is because even the voices of restraint are saying to Israel, look, um, you know, this isn't going to ultimately succeed in truly eliminating Hamas. I would say it's 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 even worse than that from Israel's point of view. You are creating the fuel for the next round. I mean, look, whatever you think of the guys who run Hamas, they have to convince a bunch of people, you know, to commit these atrocities. They have to convince a bunch of people to go in and risk their lives to kill Israelis. It's a lot easier to do that if a bunch of these people have lost siblings. Is anywhere you go on this planet Earth, if you are under this kind of subjugation from the day that you're born for reasons that you don't even understand, maybe you're going to fight back. That's human nature. We're human beings. Right? Yeah, and I want I want to say, you know, it's also human nature that. Well, the, uh, the context is, you know, people have compared this to 9-11. I, I would say Israel as as ill-advised as I think what they're doing is, even from their own point of view, and as inhumane and illegal as, as, as you'd say it is, uh, I don't think they're overreacting any more than we did to 9-11. I mean, 9-11, compared to what happened to Israel, proportionally- think about 9-11. What no, about I, what we did to Iraq after 9-11? Well, that is 9-11 in my book. Oh, that, that, that's, a, that's part of the reaction to 9-11. I mean, I'm sure you remember- Jeffrey nobody, Goldberg listen, alleging saying that Israel is the sole bad actor on this planet. Right. Right. But what I what I mean this is, is what's happening now. And right. by the way, it's happening with U.S. support. This isn't just Israel. This right. is Israel and the U.S. As far as I'm concerned, this yeah. is Israel plus the U.S. massacring the people of Gaza. Right. The Israelis are using American weapons. The white phosphorus that they've been raining down on Gaza, American white phosphorus shells. Yeah. Under the ICC, under the Rome Statute, aiding and abetting by providing weapons mm -hmm. is a criminal offense. So we're so, part so, of this. We're not so just my, observers. My, my tax dollars at work. I mean, literally, ammunition I paid for is is killing uh, civilians in Gaza right now. Um, yeah, when I say 
but what I want to say, I mean, I, I'm not saying the Israelis are the only bad actors or Hamas is the only bad actors. I'm saying, sadly, often the bad actors are reacting the way humans react. They overreact to threats. Retribution is a strong human impulse. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I understand, for example, why the first, why the second intifada terrified Israelis and led to overreaction, uh, which isn't to say that it did not have root causes itself, which isn't to say that. I'm just saying. The bottom line is this cycle is just going to be repeated action, reaction, reaction, action until the occupation. Because that's the problem. If we don't solve for that problem, assessing how this battle was fought or that reaction was happened or can we talk to Hamas? I mean, these are sort of details. Right. Nothing is going to be resolved. Peace, right. peace I, I, no security until the occupation yeah. is over. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just saying the cycle of violence is ultimately driven by humans acting in a certain sense the way humans do if if they are not, for some reason, enlightened by someone, right? And that's why if America is really Israel's friend, I think right now it would be saying, look, you are just planting the seeds for the next round right now. Um, We'll be calling for a ceasefire at the UN Security Council, but I expect that the US will do the opposite and block a ceasefire resolution just like it did two years ago, mm -hmm. Uh, three times. Yeah. Uh, Okay, well, I guess we've covered uh, most of uh, the questions I had. Is there anything else you want to say it's uh I'm curious what you think of the way this is being processed. Um the uh, are you um are you disappointed by American voices that aren't speaking out? Are you gratified that some are or what? Um you know, I mean it's it's two things. One is that I share the horror of of everybody else including American journalists who observed these initial assaults on uh Israelis uh in southern uh Israel and it was shocking and it was horrific and and appropriately covered. Um I'm you know disappointed that they repeated so many unsubstantiated claims that i think are used to drum up people's emotions like the decapitated babies uh and um uh, at this point i hope that any analysis of the current war contextualizes everything that's happening within the framework the context of israeli occupation of palestinians palestinians are not occupying israelis Palestinians are not committing crimes against uh, uh, Israelis just by virtue of being there. Palestinians aren't stealing Israeli lands. Uh, they're not stealing Israeli water. They're not stealing Israeli farmlands. They're not destroying Israeli trees. These are things that are happening to Palestinians. Mm. I mean, of um, course. That's the essential problem. Of course, and, and on some of these things, the settlers will say, well, we only you know, burn down these trees because uh, militants from this village uh, tried to kill settlers. And 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 there is this cycle. But, but one point you made last. Way, yeah, go the, ahead. The way to keep settlers safe is to get them out of occupied territory. Well, I was going to say one point you made in our last conversation is that every settlement is itself a violation of international law. The right. Geneva Convention prohibition on transferring civilian populations to territory acquired by force. That's right. That's a basic, I mean, it is a part and a plan of 
de facto annexation that Israel has been planning and expanding, and it has already uh, annexed the Golan Heights with the blessing of the Trump administration, and the Biden administration has done nothing to undo that. You know, right. it's as clear as day. Every international observer recognizes that Israel's goal is to annex Palestinian land and push out the Palestinian people. They're going to start and they're doing it now by pushing the Gazans out to Egypt as much as they can, however much they can. And don't expect this to stop with Gaza. That's what I'll leave you with before we sign off. Don't expect this is going to begin and end with Gaza. They are going to and have been pushing Palestinians out of parts of the West Bank. And uh, extremist Palestinian groups who are part of the government have very openly said they want to push the Palestinians into Jordan. So mm -hmm. think of Gaza as a trial run. Yeah. Um, and then finally, I'd say, uh, if you look at, you know, what the Biden administration would say about this uh, attempt to get Saudi Arabia to recognize Israel as a kind of culmination of the Abraham Accords is that, well, but we're part of this is that we get Israel to like finally address like the settlement issue. But, and it's like, it's all, I mean, come on. They're saying things like we would get Israel to say that they will not annex the West Bank. Well, first of all, if it's Bibi oh, who says it, how long do you expect the promise to last? But secondly, I mean, that's just not enough in the long run. I mean, I mean it's no. a de facto annexation now. And that exactly. that's what defines the conditions of the Palestinians in the West Bank. Exactly. The Biden administration are cowards because I don't believe that even they believe the things they say. I don't believe it. I think it's short term political calculation for what's best for a Biden reelection campaign, appearing to be strong on Israel, appearing to be supporting Israel with what Israel wants, which are these normalization agreements with the dictators in the region. I don't really believe that they sincerely think that this is anything that's going to bring peace and stability. And I hope that they're eating their words now for having said any of this gibberish publicly. Oh, I think they're a long way from eating their words. <laughs> I just think um, they don't get much pressure about this, uh, you yeah. know. Yeah. Um, now, let me uh, uh, let me say, uh, if you'll let Are me. Are we pause. almost done, by the way? We're almost done, but I do want to say something. One thing I didn't do, this is a commercial announcement that I'm going to ask you to endure. It'll only last 40 seconds. Um, one thing I sometimes do is interrupt these partway through and say, well, uh, the rest of this will be behind uh, the paywall. So become a paid subscriber to Non-Zero Newsletter if you want to listen. I, I didn't want to do that with a conversation about this particular subject right now. But I do encourage people, if you think conversations like this are valuable, and if you've noticed that you don't see them on MSNBC, um, then uh, let alone CNN or Fox News, I guess. But um, And you want to support the cause you could go you know google non-zero and substack become a paid subscriber you get a lot of bonus content from podcasts some written bonus content and so on the other things you can do to support us if you want rate and review the non-zero podcast on your podcast app at apple podcast if you just if you're watching on youtube you just click the like button uh if you're a fan of these podcasts you just click click the like button at the beginning that that actually expands the audience through the magic of youtube's algorithm um, finally, Sarah, why don't you tell us where we can find your stuff? I mentioned your Twitter feed, uh, and it's just your name, right? Isn't it Sarah yeah, Leo? Sarah uh, Lee one. Oh, oh, Sarah Lee. So it's S-A-R-A-H-L-E-A-H -E with a digit one? Yep. Okay, and, and where else? 
Our organization is DawnMena.org, D-A-W-N-M-E-N-A, which stands for Democracy for the Arab World Now, Middle East and North Africa, DawnMena.org. Please visit our site for uh, regular uh, uh, content, uh, research, analysis, recommendations uh, about U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time. I know you got to catch a plane at some point today. Um, so, uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. Hope to, hope to talk down the road, uh, ideally under less, uh, traumatic circumstances. Yes. Okay. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.